We are broadcasting my portion of this evening's program by radio instead of television. I seem to have lost some weight and I don't wish to mar my image. I cannot reveal exactly how much weight. I can only say that had I lost 10 more pounds, I would have had to file a missing persons report. For the uninitiated, I should explain that radio is simply television with the tube burned out. In radio, sound is a rather important ingredient. When it does not exist, it is manufactured. For example, this cellophane simulates the sound of a crackling fire. This sound effect is so authentic, one can almost smell the smoke. Maxie! Thank you for coming back to me. Are you all right, darling? Oh, yes. Are you all right? Mrs. Danvers, she's gone mad. She said she'd rather destroy a man to live and see us happy here. Look! The West Wing! Welcome to the Shamley Silhouette. I am Zach Eastman, the host of the show these past 25 episodes. 25 times over the course of a year and change, I have been granted the privilege and honor of sitting down with fellow creatives, friends, and inspirations to have casual conversations regarding the work of Alfred Hitchcock. Beginning in 2019 with the whimsical notion of doing an article series on Hitchcock for the Real Nerds website, I thought it would perhaps be a delight to have a companion podcast for a few episodes where I would chat about Hitch with fellow fans whom I knew and those who had thoughts on how Hitchcock was viewed through the modern lens. Being on Real Nerds for many years now, the thought naturally trended toward comedy and laid-back discussion, and since I'm not good at the former, the latter would have to suffice as the predominant form of the show. The podcast was never meant to be anything more than a companion to the article series at first. And as I started recording and writing the articles, I found myself much more enamored with these 90-minute to four-hour conversations. And eventually, they took over my concentration, and the articles faded after the fifth entry. Additionally, the show was never meant to tackle the entire filmography of Hitchcock, but rather explore poignant themes and hallmarks in his career that have shaped both cinema and pop culture that we've seen throughout the years that have followed his work and his passing. For 25 episodes, we managed to cover every angle that would be essential to understanding what Hitch's work was and what it did to lay the foundation of popular and artistic filmmaking over the decades. And now that it's done, I must admit I'm very sad to let Hitch go. The entrancement of Hitchcock's work stems for me from the points of intrigue and sheer entertainment. From the moment I saw The Birds and Psycho at young ages, I was quickly pulled into his presentation of the ideas he wanted to present. The whole notion of the film Psycho obsessed me after I saw it. As a budding horror fan, I started to crave more films like it, and more knowledge of how, how a film like Psycho could have been made so long ago. How could you have the shower scene in 1960? As a kid, I, I, I assumed that 
the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s was laden with goody-goody stuff that, while I loved, was not that intense or extreme or radical or tubular, if you will. And I shared the notion that many my age would that these films in black and white or of age were always too safe. While I adored them in private, I always assumed that nothing in black and white could be shocking. I loved Casablanca, Bogart movies, Bob Hope movies, the Marx Brothers, and radio shows of the old era like Jack Benny and Burns and Allen. But after Psycho, I somehow knew that there was more to be dug into regarding the era of Hollywood that we consider the Golden Age. With that film, Hitchcock was able to break conventions some 40 years later, or at least just some of my own conventions on what these films of the past were. And my love for Hitch grew and grew until we have arrived to this point, where, where we are closing the book on Hitch. And if this were a film, this whole experience, if this was a motion picture, um, surely there would be a credit roll. Uh, and alas, on radio, you cannot see the names of the people who have made this happen. And in lieu of a visual form, we are going to sit down and listen to the thanks one by one. Not unlike the trailer for Citizen Kane, you better buckle up for a few minutes. I can imagine that the first line of text to appear would be cast in order of appearance. And in that, the first name would be Ryan Frost. Ryan's passion for film, podcasting, and seeing those around him believe in themselves is astounding beyond all comprehension. Now, the first episode of the show set the tone going forward. The moment Ryan did his imitation of Cary Grant during the final scene of Suspicion as he's driving, I not only laughed, but I knew that the ice was broken to start having more fun and less formality. He eased me into the hosting chair in the grandest of ways. His follow-up episodes were also invaluable, and our recording of the discussion regarding Hitch's World War II films may, may be one of the most fascinating times I've had at the mic. Next, you would find the name of documentarian and devoted filmgoer Aaron Pendergast. In having Aaron on episode two, he and I were able to dig back into the things we both learned on film sets and about filmmaking to discuss Hitch's meticulousness. What was more important was listening to him as he brought forth his own insight into viewing these films under modern conditions, where the challenges would be on a set, and his own takes on how characters, and character tropes specifically, can be perceived then and today. In addition, he also helped with the birth of the Jimmy Stewart impression, and gave more than enough encouragement for that bit to carry onward he would return two more times where he would bring his own attention to detail for how one compares a remake to an original and to bring his passion forward for a film like Strangers on a Train. He has a podcast coming soon. You should look for it. Then there would be a name that would evoke the response of Epic, and that name would be Marshall Rosales. It is fair to say that with the length of Marshall's episodes also came the kind of analysis that extends far beyond any commentary or cinema town hall. His experience as a writer, a filmmaker, and a devotee proved invaluable in not only discussing Hitch's masterpieces, but also discussing lesser-known and unpopular fare. His ability to see what bright spots there could have been even in the weakest of Hitch's films was most important in discussing a master and how even a master can make a blunder here and there. Additionally, his appreciation for Dial-M for Murder and the use of 3D technology was a big highlight for the show as it discussed the fact that Hitch might have fit in just fine with the world of ever-growing film technologies and how they may be properly used to tell a story. More importantly, though, he had the patience to sit down as long as he did 
to speak on the important matters when it came to a legacy. And then Henry Jarvis would arrive next. Undoubtedly, his uproarious sense of humor and supreme intelligence proved invaluable in discussing where Hitch lies within the context of current filmmaking and young filmmakers such as himself. He was not tasked with holding anything up to a pedestal, and it was most important to have him to discuss where he understands the importance and where the line is drawn for him. And you owe it to yourself, if you liked what he had to say in episode four, to sit down and watch his YouTube series, Chewing the Scenery, an invaluable source of film history, context, and critique, and above all, a very hilarious watch. If you haven't seen his episode on Korean cinema and its history, do it now. Then the shocker of all names, James Hart, would appear from the rubble and smoke of Manderley itself. James' assertive, jovial, and heartfelt nature were and continue to be inspirations, so having him aboard was only a matter of when. Thank goodness he was there amidst his very busy schedule to discuss Rebecca and to bring his learned impressions of how the film operates all while tagging along in the spirit of having fun with the crazed production of this masterpiece courtesy of one David O'Selznick. After all, it was the show that helped us decide whose chin would be best suited to replace Laurence Olivier's for the impending remake coming in October. The next name unveiled would be that of Corinne Westerman. A massive regret I have for this show was not having her on multiple times, and it's a mistake that will be corrected coming down the line with future series. Her head-on approach to tackling a classic like The Lady Vanishes not only brought forth insightful discussion, but also had us firmly believing that Dame May Woody should have been a super secret agent named Lady Britain in her own film series. Are you listening, Disney Marvel? It's not too late. And undoubtedly, her approach to discussing classic cinema as a newcomer in some respects would further add to the whole discussion of Hitchcock's decades-long impact. Jack Hanley's name comes at the screen with ferocity, urgency, and matter-of-factness that cannot be ignored. His boisterous voice lends authority to any subject he discusses. Thankfully, he dedicates that voice to cinema and thankfully to Hitchcock. His first episode proved a most comprehensive look at Hitch's most popular thematic throughline in his career, the lurid and seedy nature that then evolved into the examination of human psychology and specifically psychopathic tendencies. When you thought it could not get any better, he returned in full force ready to help me tackle the discussion of Marnie and how one views uncomfortable art. His presence provided much support as we went head on into issues of contemporary relevance. It is one of the reasons, amongst many, that you should be listening to his own cinema show, The Superlatives Film Podcast. And rolling in like a barrel of laughter and joy, Phil Vecchio's name appears on screen. He brought his passion and devotion to all of Hitch as we tackled one of the ma master's lesser discussed filmmaking ventures, his comedies. And with Phil's experience in discussing pop culture, film, and appreciation for the underappreciated, he made discussions about trouble with Harry, family plot, and the farmer's wife, ones to be fondly remembered. If you like what Phil had to say, you should listen to the Mandarian Orange show. He has many more stories to tell. You cannot talk about a monster movie like The Birds or horror trope-laden films like Stage Fright without the hearty nature of the next name, Matt McCord or The Undead Matt. He not only brought forth his passion for the horror genre, but also his wit and humor even as we treaded into the more serious sides when discussing the birds. If you have listened to the Punk Rock Horror Podcast, you know of what I speak. If you don't, rectify that injustice at once. The next name comes in not just as an insightful voice, but one of our biggest supporters. His name is Andrew Sanders. 
His sureness and frankness came most handy when he, Aaron, and myself discussed the many similarities and differences with both versions of the man who knew, who knew too much as this is. He brought forth authority of his own as a longtime Hitch fan and was also more than ready to jump into our own brand of whimsy as we dove into having a well-meaning ribbing over the Stewart version. His support for the show from its start is the greatest gift one can hope to receive, and his encouragement became most important in the early beginnings of the show. It's the same fantastic qualities that he brings to his own show, Pop Culture Brews, where he will give all that and some craft recipes on top of it all. I may not drink anymore, but cheers to that most definitely. You will not find a name appearing next that will match the connection to comedic gold than that of Will Elder. Braving a snowstorm that never occurred, he wrapped up the Jimmy Stewart saga of the show by bringing forth his knowledge of filmmaking, film noir, and storytelling to the discussion of Vertigo. And while we cannot claim it as the premier authority of knowledge on this most beloved masterpiece, I can definitely say that Will's quick wit was able to make it possibly one of the most hilarious examinations of Vertigo. To have a name like Matt Willicks adorn those credits is a great honor. He does not mince words, and he is passionate to a fault for the things he appreciates. Knowing him for as long as I have, he further gave evidence of his knowledge and positivity that ran through our discussion of To Catch a Thief, that undoubtedly proved the worth of this film amongst Hitch's style and filmography. In fact, Willicks may have been the only one to absolutely prove that it is indeed Hitchcockian, at least in Colorado. He was most welcome then, and he will be most welcome any other time. Brad Haig is a name so important that we must highlight it with all of the flourishes a graphic designer could dream of without overdoing it. Brad's appearance on the show was one of great value as it provided the perspective of one who did not carry the baggage of Hitchcock's legacy into his own filmmaking journey. As a result, we gave the listener a glimpse into a world where Hitch is not on a pedestal and thus gave honesty in the best possible manner. Even more importantly, Brad does the arduous task of getting this show to the podcast apps, to the website, and to you, the listeners. Through many days of no rest and only his amazing chinchilla cue at his side. He also gave us our spectacular logo, the one that has brought simple joy into my life anytime I gaze upon it. Brad, you are the undoubted genius behind all of this. The importance of this penultimate name cannot be understated as it appears. Olivia Carmel gave this show the much-needed time to devote to Alma Revel, but also gave her own impassioned view of how figures like Alma were unjustly forgotten over time. As we discussed Alma, Hitch's love for Alma, and the topic of forgotten women filmmakers, the show turned an important curve in the series' existence. It gave the revelation of how much more this show can do as it continues. As bright as her future is, it was most pleasant that she enlightened myself on how to carry on these discussions going forward. This show does not happen without this final name. As I tend to admire the title credits that say, and so-and-so, as a point of importance, like and Samuel L. Jackson, means something important. And it is only fair that and Adam Roach would appear to cap this off. Prior to the outbreak of COVID-19, Adam graciously accepted and participated in recording the final episode in advance. It was an opportunity to talk to a person whose work gave me any notion that discussing figures of the past regarding Hollywood and filmmaking would have any merit. His work on Secret History of Hollywood and Attaboy Clarence are revelatory as he weaves the stories of old into a format that recalls the golden age of radio. 
When you listen to a story he tells, you are transported in a way that no other show can do. Naturally, any time to have with him to discuss his work on the Hitchcock series he, pr he produced was more than appreciated. What's even more wonderful was how he brought forth his own enthusiasm for Hitch's films that he enjoys. When you listen to Adam discuss his love for foreign correspondent, you know that he is the right man for the job he is doing and will continue to do. He must also be thanked for his patience as his episode came much later than intended due to the setbacks at the hands of COVID-19. All the inspiration and time he gave has been the greatest encouragement possible. And with that, if you have not listened to his show, Secret History of Hollywood, or subscribed to his Patreon to hear his previous series where he tackles people like Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, the Warner Brothers, Val Luton, you must ask yourself why, and then immediately say, well, I will now, thanks Zach, and settle in for some of the finest podcasting you will ever hear. And at the end of the credits, there would undoubtedly be a thank you to all who have listened and all that have encouraged this silly idea. Thanks to you, there came the reminder of a passion I have not just for the Master of Suspense, but for all of Golden Age Hollywood. It is absolutely no secret that the things birthed at this moment of cinema have evolved into what we consume on a daily basis, whether in a multiplex or more than likely right now on a phone. And yet the knowledge of where this all comes from seems to be growing dimmer with each passing year. While there are many resources to find these stories, there must be a desire to hear them. It is with that in mind that the Shamley Silhouette will become a new overall banner show called Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. That's R-E-V-U-E. -E. The goal of that show will be to continue tackling films of the past with the same casual conversations that have been part of the Shamley structure. So when the show returns under this banner, the first in its initial releases beyond the 25 episodes you've already heard will be Shamley Supplements. There's still much to discuss of Hitch beyond his time here, and there are other subjects within the realm of Hitchcock that deserve one last appraisal. This will include coverage of the Paradine case and the decline of David Oselznick, the innovation of sound and blackmail, the sequels to Psycho, and the legacy itself of Hitch imitation and homage. And yes, if you were wondering, I will have Corinne back to dis discuss Crook's tour if she will acquiesce. After all, Charters and Caldecott's further adventures must be appraised. And as the show goes along, we will find new ways to fill time with one-off topics, discussions, to see where the conversation could lead us in the future. The well of Hollywood and its history is deep, and it will be pertinent to bring these stories back to surface level. As we have seen not just this year, but for some time now, the world of film is changing, reckoning, and learning. The goal of the show beyond the mere chuckles provided will hopefully be to enlighten on how what we learned from then can help us understand where to go from here. Am I intelligent enough to do that? Of course not. And that's why I'm going to have other people come on board to help me out with that. But for the next big series, the one that will tackle a major figure, it will be a most interesting affair. I have, in my time of learning of Golden Age Hollywood, from being a young boy to a dumb man, grown to appreciate the audacity of ambition. The ambition on and off the camera. 
a point of fascination that lies in how far that nerve can take you. Two figures in film history thrived on ambition, whether thematically or in their own lives. Their ambitions diverged and collided with equal force, no matter what their ultimate goals were. They were also friends who at the very end saw both success and sadness in their own equal measure. Running along two different sides of the tracks, they managed to mirror each other in most unique ways. And what's even more interesting is how that all came to a head in one of the greatest filmmaking adventures by ambitious men that was doomed to fail in their time. And while it does not have a title yet like Shamley, uh, a good way to tease it would be to tell you that these two directors released their debuts in the same year, not too far apart. Both dealt with men on quests for answers and rewards no one could truly possess. One concerned a magnificent bird, the other was searching for a crucial piece in a giant jigsaw puzzle. But until we return, this is your obedient servant, Zach Eastman. Good night. <laughs>